This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for the statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to Executive Leaders Radio. In this hour, you'll hear directly from our region's finest business leaders. Through each of the interviews, these high-achieving leaders become relatable role models who share how they were able to build their enterprise, their personal secrets of success, about leadership styles and opportunities that lie ahead. Prepare to be inspired and entertained and to hear wisdom unheard elsewhere. Executive Leaders Radio. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio, broadcast from Cross's Tyson's office in Virginia. This is your host, Herb Cohen, with my co-hosts, Andrew Howard, Howard Insurance, Tom McBride, Cressa, Jim Morgan, People Stretch Solutions, Michael Buckley, YHBCPAs, and Bonnie Sewell, who is American Capital Planning, as well as John Schuhart, Graybeard Coaching. Uh, John, can you give us a rundown on who we have on the show today, please? Sure, Herb. Our first guest is Rob Klingensmith, Managing Director for Wealth Management at PB Mayors. Then we'll talk with John, excuse me, Kelly Campbell, President and CEO of Campbell Wealth Management Incorporated. Then we'll talk with Ariane Bennett, President of the Amsterdam Falafel Shop. And we'll wrap up with John Graham, President and CEO of ASAE, the Center for Association Leadership. Let's get to know our first guest, Rob Klingensmith, Managing Director, Wealth Management of PB Mayors. Rob, what is PB Mayors? PB Mayors is a 50-year-old accounting firm, and the wealth management division within that firm is uh, what I run. All right. How large or how small is the team? Uh, the uh, accounting firm has 320 employees. Wealth management has 15 team members. All right. And where are you from originally? I was born in Hawaii, moved to Denver, Colorado at the age of seven. All right. And how many brothers and sisters? I have a sister that's seven years older, a brother that's 14 years older. Okie dokie. And what was going on with you eight to 14 years oldish? Uh, from eight to 14, I was out in the woods, uh, walking through creeks, catching salamanders and snakes, and, and probably looking for as much adventure as I possibly could when I wasn't doing chores or sitting in school. Mm-hmm. Jim? So, Rob, you mentioned that you were in sports as a kid. What sports did you play? I played soccer for the majority of my youth. I wrestled, played football, played basketball. And soccer was your uh, number one sport? Yes. What uh, what position do you play? I played forward. And what attracted you to the forward position? You know, I probably despise being average. I would say it was that significant. So I wanted to, to be the person that was in front, scoring goals and making headlines, mm-hmm. so to speak. And how do you bring that drive to your job today? Well, I think I need to, to be the point of the spear. I have to be the, the individual that rolls his sleeves up, that, that stands out and leads from the front mm-hmm. um, versus you know being behind and being average. I get it. Bonnie? What did your parents do for a living? My dad spent 23 years in the Navy, retired, and then was with FEMA and retired from, from that organization. My mom was in the government in logistics. And based on your story, you didn't follow a a simple, secure path. So how are you so comfortable with contradictions and contrasts? Well, my mom was an extreme extrovert, is an extreme extrovert. My dad's very introverted. So I saw those those polar opposites growing up. And uh, I think I ended up somewhere in the middle. So I got the best of both worlds. I became a fairly good listener from my father, but uh, entrepreneurial and aggressive from my, my mother. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and apply that now in, in, in my day-to-day job when mm-hmm. I'm leading. Andrew? In the green room, Rob, you mentioned you had to help Dad out a lot 
growing up? What, what were you guys, what was he asking you to do? Well, we did everything. I changed brakes, I think, when I was 10 years old, laid cement, built fences, painted, laid sod. My dad never hired anyone to do anything. Uh, I was his, his contractor. So how young were you when you started to make money? I was eight when we moved to Denver. I started uh, shoveling driveways for money in the wintertime and then and mowing lawns in the summer. And why didn't you continue to do that work? Uh, well, I, I wanted to make a lot of money. So I found that you know working in the white collar world and, and doing what I do today was probably the path of least resistance to, to become successful financially. Mm-hmm. Thomas? Wait a second. You were on the beaches of Hawaii, and then you're telling me that at eight you were shoveling snow in Colorado. What did that do? Yeah, well, well for most folks, you would think you'd want to go the other direction. I was, I was so excited to see snow um, that, uh, you, you know, it, it was, it was a, a highlight of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it allowed me to uh, learn how to roll up my sleeves and, and do work. Uh, mm-hmm. shoveling driveways every Saturday sure. and Sunday. And, you're, and so you're pretty big spread between siblings. Your sister's, what you say, seven years older and your older brother's 14 years older. What's the relationship with your siblings and where do you stand within the family tree? What's your role within the family as the youngest? You know, my sister is probably the, the person that engages the family and my parents the most on, the, on a daily basis. And, and I have become kind of an advisor to my sister my parents are quite a bit older now and start to need more of our help, and she usually seeks my mm-hmm. counsel, go figure, mm-hmm. since I'm the youngest by seven mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so well, I do a lot of advising. What's the similarity between your role in the family and what you do for a living? So I, I think it's, it's inherent. You know, I, I advise people on a daily basis. I advise my team. That's one of my primary roles, and my, my uh, leadership position is mm-hmm. to, to provide advice to both clients mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and our team members. Got you. John? You said earlier before the show that you served in the Coast Guard. What did you do in the Coast Guard? I was a helicopter rescue swimmer for eight years. So what led you to jump out of perfectly good working helicopters? It was that, that seeking adventure that started at a, at a very early age. Uh, you know, I always wanted to be looking for blind corners to see what's, what's next. Uh, I didn't feel comfortable with complacency or, or being average and that was the next best thing was jumping out of helicopters and i want to save people i wanted to help which uh, dovetails nicely in what i do today i help people on a daily basis well how, what do you rescue people no i well yeah figuratively i uh so to speak i i rescue people and their finances i mean that's what keeps us in, uh gainfully employed is is helping people with their finances what you learn about uh leading and teamwork in that coast guard role uh, you have to have uh, a, a very specific perspective on your part on the team. Uh, you have to know how to uh, collaborate, know how to take orders and give orders. So I learned from both sides of the spectrum how to take orders. And then uh, ultimately when I became a leader in the Coast Guard, how to, how to give orders and execute a mission. Kind of like being part of your family, huh? Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you really grew up here. It sounds like you really matured in the Coast Guard. I did. I mean, when you're, I was stationed in Alaska, and, and when you're sitting in the, the doorway of a helicopter uh, hovering over the Bering Sea at night, and you got to go into that water that's probably about 45 degrees and execute a mission, you grow up really quick. Mm-hmm. Jim? So it uh, sounds like you had a lot of leadership experience. Where was the first time that you experienced or did that leadership as a youth? In sports, on, on soccer teams, as a team captain. So you gravitated to that pretty early on? I did. You know, I always felt like I had a natural tendency toward leadership. It was just very intuitive for me. 
You, wait, this was when? How young were you when you were the captain of the team? Uh, probably the first one was when I was on a competitive team at age eleven. And how how'd you get to be the captain of that team? Did you get elected, or did you scream and yell at everybody, or had that happen? The coach, this coach, picked me out. Why? Why did the coach pick you out? Uh, probably because I was vocal, more vocal than a lot of the other players yeah, on the team. But what else? What was your effect on the other teammates? Uh, you know, I always was a motivator. I always tried to motivate the people around me, whether it was in sports or, or my friends, What do you mean you're always a motivator? What do you mean? You know, I always try to encourage others to do their best. Uh, you know, I feel that and, and have, have felt from as long as I can remember that if the people around me do great, then I'm going to do great. What's so. that have to do with building this thing called uh, Wealth Management at PB Mayors? So it's very, very important to, to motivate individuals, team members on a daily basis uh, so that we can we can excel together. If, if, if everyone around you is a star, then they're going to make you a star as well. Am I drawing a connection there that's fair or unfair between your role in these sports teams when you were 11, starting at 11, and what you're doing nowadays? Absolutely. I mean, it's you know, I, I've, I've grown up in teams. I was part of a team in the Coast Guard, and that was one of my sole uh, – sole focuses in at PB Mayors is is to build a team not mm -hmm. to have a bunch of individuals but to build a cohesive unit. I just wanted to make sure I understood who's got the yeah, next question. How young were you when you realized that uh, or first realized you didn't want to be average? Oh heck I as far as I can remember you know I used to daydream about being the star quarterback or uh, you know, the star soccer player I mean it was as, as early as I can remember I always wanted to I, I felt it was more of a, a pain point than a pleasure it, it was more of a, a concern about being average if your if your team lost uh, what was your reaction to a loss as a captain in that age uh, I would say that you know I, 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 I didn't go the route of being a poor sport I, I as far as I can remember you know I was always looking at where we needed to you know identifying the gaps and and what we needed to do to do to, so to you win the game. You we went back in the next morning early and and sort of rehashing it with the team. Oh, I practiced constantly. I mean, if 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 there was something that I wanted to do, I was focused on. That's that's all I would. So do. would the coach have said you were captain because you you were the one first in practicing the, the hardest, staying late the most, or were you just the natural naturally just also sort of the most talented? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say I was naturally the most talented. I would just I was the most motivated. I mm -hmm. would say what you know, whether that was mm -hmm. you know how hard I ran in line mm -hmm. drills or. Uh, you know, diving for gotcha. balls that maybe other other players. Uh, what is dive the for uh, website address of PB Mares? I'm sorry. Website address of PB Mares? PBMares.com. You can speak with Rob Clickensmith, managing director of wealth management. PB Mares. You're on Executive News Radio. Don't forget to go to our website. It's ExecutiveNewsRadio.com. Learn more about our Executive News. We'll be back in a moment, right after this business spotlight. Your name and organization is? My name is Alex Fleming. I work for YHB CPAs and Consultants. And Alex, where are you from originally? From Virginia. And uh, what kind of sport, what was your favorite sport when you were a kid? I loved to play lacrosse. And what was your role on the team? I started out as an attackman. Uh -huh. What was the personality trait you brought to being an attackman? So I started, I, I loved scoring goals and I, uh -huh. I was a center of attention. When, what, what, do you, what do you do nowadays for a living? Nowadays, I uh, help people with their financial situations. And saving taxes. And saving huh? taxes. Are so is there a parallel goal. between what you did as a kid and that sports team, the personality trait you brought and what you're doing nowadays? No. What do you mean? I started um, realizing that you can get the same amount of points with an assist that you can with a goal. Do you get fulfillment from what you're doing nowadays? Absolutely. Well, tell me a little bit more about that. What makes you feel good about what you do? I really enjoy helping somebody realize that they 
have a situation that we can help them with that we can what are you talking about what do you mean so either whether it is saving money on taxes or whether it is just sort of helping them figure out where their cash is going or helping them realize that they can save money to go to send their grandchild to college or any kind of number of situations about what we can do to help them figure out what so you what shifted from when you were a kid and you needed to be the star to really really feel uh, comfortable serving, don't you? Right, exactly. Uh-huh. And these are various, I mean, with the same family, you could be serving various generations from the same family. Exactly. That's, what, that's one of my favorite things to do as well. What? Helping the, whole, helping the whole family, not just the one generation, but helping the whole family. What's the, what's the website address of your organization? It's yhbcpa.com. Let me have that one more time. yhbcpa.com. And we've been speaking with Alex Fleming, manager of YBH. Uh, this has been your business spotlight. And your name is? Ramon Parker. And Ramon, the name of the organization? Loudon Free Clinic. And you were telling me there's some, something special about the Loudon Free Clinic where every dollar that goes in does something else. What was that all about? Yeah, it does something magical. So for every dollar that's donated to our clinic, we can deliver $8 worth of care. And what kind of clinic is this? Who are, you, who are you helping out? What kind of stuff do you guys do? So we're helping out those who are 18 to 64 who are uninsured and low income, 200% or below the federal poverty level. And give me this thing about the math again. Give me how that works. So essentially, I have a, a staff of 12 individuals and 128 volunteers. So with that kind of payer mix, I'm able to deliver, you know, anywhere from $8 uh, in care for our patients. Because you've been able to enroll the support of so many volunteers, you're actually keeping the cost of health care down and therefore multiplying the dollars. And making one of, it, one of the best business investments for private corporations who want to invest. And didn't, ah, interesting. So private businesses and individuals can get involved. And didn't you Absolutely. tell me you had a couple of health care challenges yourself? What were they? I have. I've had four open heart surgeries, and mm -hmm. it helps me to understand what patients need. What are you talking about? What do you mean? So the idea of having been on the table or being a patient, I'm able to take a patient focus in how we deliver care differently than most people would. What did you, what did you learn from those experiences personally? What do you appreciate that most of us don't? I appreciate consistency. Um, I think that a, a staff at the hospital, nurses, providers, mm -hmm. parents, mm -hmm. family, all those people consistently being around me and consistently offering me hope. Uh, I'm so full of it that I have to offer that to the patients and to the staff when I'm working with them. What's the website address for the Loudon Free Clinic? Loudonfreeclinic.org. Let me have that one more time. L-O-U-D-O-U-N freeclinic.org. We've been speaking with your name again? Ramon Parker. And this has been your business spotlight. Thank you. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Kelly Campbell. Kelly is the president and CEO of Campbell Wealth Management. Kelly, what is Campbell Wealth Management? What kind of, how many dollars do you manage? Well, we're a retirement-only company. We work with people about to retire and in retirement, and we manage about $600 million of assets. Wow. And uh, where are you from originally? Well, originally I'm from my mom, but uh, uh -huh. prior to that, mm -hmm. <laughs> or after that. Uh, I'm from the, uh, we were, I was an Army brat, but we ended up settling in Baltimore. All right. And 8 to 14 years old, what were you up to? What were you doing? How young were you when you were making money? Well, I first started making money, I guess, when I was about 8 years old. And uh, I'll tell you a quick story. Please. I was uh, one, of the, uh, one of my first jobs was I was trying to get a gift from my mother for Mother's Day. And so I, I met with one of my neighbors, or I went to all my neighbors to see if there were any odd jobs. And I remember this woman like, uh, like it was yesterday. Her name was uh, Rose Boycott. 
and an awesome woman. She gave me a job. I was doing, you know, just picking strawberries for her, doing stuff in her garden. But it was all about making money to, to buy my mother that gift. And you had the guts at eight years old to go to all the neighbors? Oh, absolutely. Wow. Um, I understand at the age of 10, you made your first capital investment. What was that? <laughs> so uh, going from uh, Miss Boycott to other things, I started cutting grass. And, you know, and I said, hey, you know, I could cut more lawns if I had a riding lawnmower. So I saved up my money and my mom and dad brought me to Sears. and We bought our first riding lawnmower. I bought my first riding lawnmower. At the age of 10. And I understand that something happened where you got, <clears throat> where you started another business when you were 15, something with a body shop where you were fixing cars and uh, but I'm trying to figure out how you did school and everything else, including starting a body shop. Yeah, so I did the body shop business for a good while. I did it all through college as well, but it was a good way to make money. But uh, one of the things I had to do was I had to get up really early because if I had classes or if I had to work, you know, I had to do that job first. How, so I'd how get early up, were you getting up? Well, I'd get up about four in the morning and I'd go to my how body old shop. Were you? Uh, I've probably done that since I was 14 or 15. Most kids are sleeping at 4 in the morning, and you're going ahead and working. I was excited to wake up. I, did, I thought sleep was a waste of time. Uh-huh. Jim? So it sounds like you had a lot of work that you were doing. What type of clubs or sports or those type of activities did you do in school? You know, it's funny. I tried to follow my brother's footsteps in track and field, and I did some of that, but uh, but I just didn't like it. You know, I, I, I love being in good shape, but I really like to, to work. I like to make money. I like to be entrepreneurial. So I really just I, I kind of for, – for, uh, the, the sports were foregone, and the business was uh, was uh-huh. full in front center. So you were really driven to continue to work. So where do you think you got that drive from? Yeah, I don't know exactly where I got the drive from. I, my mother, when I was young, just told me, you know, you can you can do anything you put your mind to. Uh, and I have absolutely thought that no matter what, and I think that was one of the most uh, – mm-hmm. I remember that her telling me that a thousand times when I was a kid. How young were you when you got told that? Uh, I was probably I, – I, <laughs> I remember being in the bathtub, so probably about age of four. <laughs> Wow. Bonnie? Body and fender work is really physical, and you were good at it. But that takes a different kind of mentality. Now you do financial services, helping people. How did you make that switch, or why did you make that switch? Why was it attractive to you? You know, it's funny that my, my mom would always say, you know, if I would buy something, I bought a pair of boots one time, and, and you know, I went to, like, the, the shoe store, where, you know, you shouldn't buy stuff at the shoe store because it was expensive. So, so she basically said, you know, and this was her line, she said, oh, Kelly, and, and actually, she had a German accent. She, she always said it in a German accent. Oh, Kelly, you can buy the same thing at, at Kmart for five dollars. And uh, and I've told that to my brother, to my sons, and my daughter. And you know, and I just didn't like that. So uh, you know, I said, you know, I want to get the, the the nicer stuff. I want to get the higher quality. And I knew that I couldn't do it with what I was doing. So I, I just said, you know, I want to do what uh, what's going to make more money and what's you know going to put me in a better situation. And that's wow. where I really thought, you know, working with people's money, helping them, you know, do the mm-hmm. right thing with money. Uh, I could make money. Perfect. Doing that. Andrew? You mentioned an older brother. Uh, any other siblings? Uh, yeah, so I have an older brother and an older sister. And what are the ages? Uh, so my sister's two years older and my brother's one year older. I'm the baby of the family. So in the in the green room, Kelly, you told a great story about how, you know, you would come home and you'd, you'd find your brother doing what? Yeah, you know, it's funny. We'd come home from uh, from high school. You know, my brother would go right in front of the TV and he'd be watching, you know, all the all the different TV shows, and I, it just it used to make me so mad. And I, I used to tell him, I said, "Why are you wasting your life watching TV?" How does that play into how you run Campbell Wealth Management today? And, you know, I just think that there's so many things that we can do to be more productive, uh, to you know, not only as a person but as people and as a company. That uh, you know, it just drives me every day. Mm-hmm. Thomas, uh, what was your relationship with your dad like? 
Well, my dad and I didn't really get along. Uh, we were just, he was, my mother kept saying we were going to, you know, spun, spun from the same yarn. We were, the, you know, too, too much alike. But the one thing that, that really I focus on and I really uh, respect now is he taught me how to fix anything. Uh, we bought a house that didn't have windows. Uh, you know, we put spiral staircase in. We did plumbing. We did heating. We did sheetrock. We built a shed. We built an addition. He taught me all that. But you would go to him and say, hey, Dad, I want to learn about sheetrock, right? At <laughs> no, I didn't say anything. He said, I need help with sheetrock. Come over here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Michael? So did you have any uh, influencers or older influencers as a child? You know, I wouldn't say I had a, a specific influence, like a coach or anything like that. But one of the things I did, if I needed to know how to do something, I would find out who knew how to do it, and I would go to that person. You know, and that was really important to me. And even as today, if, you know, I want to be the best financial planning firm out there, I've met with the best financial planners out there to find out what are you doing? How are you being successful? And what's interesting, they want to share. They want to tell you what they're doing and give you great advice. And I've, I've gotten it from many, many, many people. Mm-hmm. John? So what did you learn from running a body shop? that applies in your work at the Campbell Wealth Management? You know, I, I think it's just there's a lot of coordination of things. In other words, if you're you know, going to coordinate uh, you know, painting a car, you need to start from ground one, and there are certain steps in the process. You know, and I've built that into our business from the standpoint of you know, when we're working with folks and you know, trying to help them retire, there are certain things we need to do. So I've built the step-by-step process that we follow with every single client every single year. So how, does, how do you take care of clients? How does that come out from the body shop? Well, I think one of the things I realized as well is that with the body shop, I was doing a lot of it on my own. That's why I had to get up at 4 a.m. With my business, it's, it's a lot more important to have a team. And so we've got a team of 22, and each person has a specific responsibility. They're really good at what they do. As a matter of fact, you know, consulting experts, I found out that you know, you've got to hire people that are better than you, not just people that are like you. And that's what I focused on. So we've got a great team that, that know exactly what they're doing. So how young were you when that humility first showed up? You know, I think when I was really little, there's just certain things I didn't know how to do. And, you know, YouTube didn't exist back then. So, uh, you know, I, I, what I found was that if I could find, you know, someone that knew something that I didn't, nine times out of ten they were willing to share it, and I'd just go talk to them. Kelly, find out how to do it. Kelly you have children, and you probably have a lot more means at your disposal than your parents did, although they were quite hardworking. How do you impart the lessons that you got when you were a child to your kids? You know, I think one of the biggest things I try and tell my kids that, you know, just like my mom told me, anything's possible, you know. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm building a, a bar in my basement, a bar and wine cellar, and I'm doing a lot of the work myself, which, you know, even though I, you know, I'm more of a white-collar person from the standpoint of, you know, what I do, uh, I can still go back to, you know, the, the craft side of things. And I, and I think they really have, you know, what they don't help me with, they learn through osmosis. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about consistency. This is this is sort of a thread that goes through everything you've talked about today. Did you observe this from your parents? Where do you think you picked up on this, or do you think it's innate? You know, this that's really interesting. There was uh, there was one story I can give you when I was a kid that, uh, you know, I, I went to a neighbor, and, you know, I, I'd go from, from project to project to project, and one neighbor years ago, I was probably about, you know, 12 or 13 years old, he said, you know, Kelly, the thing that you don't do, you don't follow through on things. You come to me with this, and then you're asking a question about that. You know, and a week later, you come up with something else. He said, you need more. And he didn't use the word consistency. I don't know what he said. I don't remember that, but but that's where consistency came from. When I focus on something now, it's it's extremely, uh, I'm extremely focused on doing over and over and over again. You know, workout, uh, eating right, uh, you know, doing the right thing for clients. It's all about consistency. Huh, how about that? Uh, what's the best part of your day? Yeah, I think um, some of the best uh, things I, I 
the best thing I see is when my uh, either a client comes up to me and says, Kelly, you changed my life because you told me to do this. Or when a team member comes up and says, you know, Kelly, hey, you told me to do that and I tried it. Hey, and it worked. Yeah, I just really love to hear that. Wow. So it sounds to me like you're like your father. You like giving people, you like helping people help you, and then you like it when they take the ball and run with it. You like when people take the ball and run with it, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Uh huh. Um, the website address of your organization is CampbellWealth.com. CampbellWealth.com. Ke- Kelly, do you ever see yourself retiring? Not really. <laughs> Why? I don't know what I'd do. If uh-huh. I retired from one thing, I'd do something else. I, I, I always I think there's so many things we can do to help other people to, you know, to, you know, just, you know, do what do anything is possible, like my mother said. But the key is to have the financial stability so that you can do what you want to do, which is really what you're helping other people do as well as yourself. G- yes. Give me the website address one more time. CampbellWealth.com. CampbellWealth.com. We've been talking with Kelly Campbell, President and CEO of Campbell Wealth Management, here on Executive Radio. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. Want help building your business with help from the show's CEOs? Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money. All the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that. Succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on this show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues, because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow Assuming you've ser- you're serious about your success, serious about your own success, because it all starts with the leader. If you're serious about creating your own successful business or truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful, we may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with a unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men get the build in their blood and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. To hopefully match you with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last 10 years. Mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. And your name and organization is? Michelle Tagani, and I'm with Cassidy & Company. And what's your role at Cassidy & Company? Marketing Communications Manager. And uh, what, what does Cassidy & Company do? We help clients uh, with comprehensive wealth management services. All right, so what's your role as the marketing person at that organization? Making sure not only the public knows about our services and what we offer, but also our clients. So when, you're, when your team is talking with your clients and things are shifting and things are going on, you're making sure that everybody is aware of everything all the time. Yes. Uh-huh. Where are you from originally? Born and raised in Washington, D.C. How many brothers and sisters and where were you in the pecking order? Two younger sisters. Uh-huh. What was your role with your sisters? Definitely a mentor. What, what, what's that mean? What do you mean? Um... Not only a mentor, but kind of a path setter, I guess, especially with my parents. Um, I was the one that 
had the curfew and the youngest one i tell her i don't know she she doesn't know how lucky she has it because mm-hmm. i paved the way uh-huh <laughs> so you're the one who paved the way you're the one who uh, got out front and laid the tracks for everybody else mm-hmm. what's that have to do with your role at cassidy and company um i think it is making sure that kind of at least internally our structure um and our department grows and mm-hmm. every person that comes onto my department specifically mm-hmm. has a has a path and a it a sounds way. to me like yeah you're like out front you're like you know like you were with your sisters and cutting out new turf and then making sure that everybody's aware of everything all the time so it's like you're on the front making sure everybody that's behind everybody else that's on the team understands what's really going on does that sound like what you're doing for a living yes uh-huh. What's the website address of this organization known as Cassidy and Company? Cassidy.com, and that's C-A-S-S-A-D-A-Y. And your name again is? Michelle Tagani. And this has been your Business Spotlight. We're back. You're listening to Executive Living Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Ariane Bennett, president of Amsterdam Falafel Shop. Ariane, what is Amsterdam Falafel Shop? What are you guys doing? We are a small, top-it-yourself falafel restaurant. We specialize in one item, which is falafel, and we allow you to come in and customize it the way you want. And we're a tiny company that made a big impact in this area. Ooh, it sounds delicious. What, uh, where are you from originally? Originally New York City, and then we came here when I was four to D.C. Uh-huh. And how young were you when you started making money? I was eight. And what um, were you doing? My brother had just been born, and so I was babysitting. I started a small babysitting company with a good close friend of mine. Wait, 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 wait. You were eight years old, and you started a babysitting company. Did you start that with this with a partner? Did you? I did. A fellow gal in the neighborhood, uh-huh. and you uh-huh. know, whenever one couldn't do the job, the other one would. So we'd fill for each other, and it required organizational skills and taking money from folks. Uh huh. So you uh, started a business, a babysitting company, when you were eight years old. Okay, Jim. So, Aria, what did your parents do? Uh, my mom worked for PBS in programming, and my father worked for Booz Allen in Hamilton. Now you mentioned that those were pretty big jobs. What did you? What influence did that have on you? A uh, big influence was that they were not around very often, um, and the other influence was that they took us to work from time to time, and so we got to see how to do organizational things. We got to raid the supply closets, and I became very devoted to television. So. You talked about being kind of a natural organizer. So tell me a little bit more about that. Um, Because I was given access to those types of uh, supplies and equipment, I would create a small office in my bedroom, and I stocked myself up and began to sort of make plans for things. So how does that natural tendency... How young were you when you you set up that office in your bedroom? I was 10. 10. Okay, that's normal. Yeah, sure. Okay, you get it. So so natural organizer, how do you bring that to your job today? Um, So as the entrepreneur that I am in starting this company with my husband, I have gone forth and created all the management tools, all of the manuals that we've written. I've had to outline how restaurants are opened and what everybody's role is. You're You're laying the tracks for future generations here. Bonnie? Growing up on Capitol Hill and going to work with mom and dad, you shared some stories of literally opening closed doors you probably shouldn't have as a child. Tell us what you learned from that experience. Um, I learned that sometimes you have to go outside the box of what people are allowing you to do. So if you go to visit the Congress building and and you want to sort of take the tour, that's one thing. Or you can start opening all those doors or go behind the ropes where you're not supposed to be until they try to really stop you. Andrew? Tell me about your relationship with your brother. You you mentioned uh, babysitting him and making a lot of money off of his generation of uh, friends. But uh, tell me about that relationship. 
Sure. So um, because I was eight when he arrived, I largely grew up as a single child, uh, an only child until then. And then we became closer when we were older. And, you know, as adults, we're very close friends. And he has actually worked for me and my organization, because when you start up a, a business like mine, you never really realize how much help you need. And so the family stepped in and they all played roles as well. What was the correlation with, you know, this, this babysitting company, as you described, uh, to your relationship with your team today? You had to learn that you couldn't do things alone and you had to delegate, you had to have someone to cover you when things went wrong and you really just had to put together a team where people were comfortable stepping into any role so that if someone wasn't there, we were able to make it work anyway. Thomas? What does uh, success mean to you? Uh, getting to sort of go onto a new playing field that you haven't been on before. So. If we're doing falafel restaurants right now, the next step would be doing frozen falafel food distribution because that means you've conquered what you were trying to do and you're moving on to the next level. And is that success different than your interpretation of mom and dad's version of success? Absolutely. For them, it was a paycheck and it was making sure they provided for the family. For us, it's taking risks and not falling too hard. Michael? So even as a kid, you had such a passion to be such a risk taker? Mm-hmm. I did. I did. I, I wasn't fearful of that. I felt empowered and I felt that if you didn't take risks, you didn't get to see what that next cool thing was that you didn't know about. John? Yeah. What'd your mom do? Um, so my mom was a programmer at PBS and so she selected the type of shows that folks would watch. So what effect or what did TV do for your life? Um, I was very comfortable connecting with the families I saw on TV because my family wasn't really there that much and I felt a little bit disconnected from them. And so I followed people like Oprah who, you know, made it clear that women could do anything they wanted to do in the workplace or in life in general and that that was what would lead to happiness, not just doing the formula. So how does what you learn from Oprah show up today at the Amsterdam Falafel Shop? We do anything and everything that we can. We try to step outside the box all the time, and nothing is, oh, I can't do that. That's never been an attitude that we've had. So who do you mentor now? Actually, I mentor a lot of people right now. We work with a couple of programs that return people to work in the community who have been sort of on the fringes of society for a while. And we don't just have three warnings and you're out. We really follow through with training and helping them to grow and to learn and progress. So what part of you, what passion does that spark in you? I think that, you know, I ha also have a background in psychology as my major in college, and so the mentoring process allows me to connect with employees and figure out how to best talk to them and work with them to get the best out of them, and I think they find that satisfying, too. So how does that help uh, Amsterdam Falafel Shop? I don't think you can run an organization without individually addressing the people and the way they are within the company, and you have to be super flexible and find different ways to approach people to get the best out of them. And so it all goes back to relationships and family. Absolutely. You have to play that role of a facilitator to help people be the best that they can be. Ariane, if I was doing a good interview, what, what would I have uh, brought out? What, I, what have I not brought out that's important to you? I think that a lot of kids who grow up independently in a family get to sort of experience the duality of their life. There's that life within the family structure where you have to meet expectations and bring home the A's and do the things that they want you to do so that you can break outside the box and go exploring and do the things that might otherwise get you in trouble, but they're a lot more understanding of because you did what you were supposed to do. Bonnie, what do you think of well, you were a latchkey kid, right? Yes. And you and I know that's a club where it's kind of the keys to the universe, but a lot of people don't think that way about it. How could you share with us what a latchkey kid might have as an advantage that other kids don't? Sure. Um, we have the right to explore. 
Uh, we have a freedom of our parents not being right over us all the time. And so they say hi to you at breakfast and they put some food in the fridge for lunch and you come back at dinner or darkness. And I think I see that as a common thread through a lot of the folks that we've talked to today, that there was a freedom to just sort of get out there and try stuff on your own that your parents probably would have blanched at if they knew what you were doing. Mm. So you love exploring. Absolutely. We're always on the look for some new adventure and new excitement. I mean, there was not Top It Yourself falafel in the United States before we did it. You just want to kind of be on that curve of bringing new cool things to people that you got to experience in other countries. After falafel, what's the next adventure? Uh, well, I'm not sure. I'm hoping retirement at one point because that would open up a whole new world to us of being able to travel and, and follow our passions like scuba diving and exploration. So you really are an explorer. I mean, it's just it just happens to be you're also an entrepreneur. Yeah, I think that's actually the roots of being an entrepreneur. You have to explore your ideas and be willing to put them down on paper and commit to them and see if they work. So you do need all of those executive skills and office skills, but you got to have the passion to try something new and the lack of fear to do it. And when you're exploring, are you the organizer? Yes. What do you mean? Um, I sort of lay out a framework for us of directions that we should be exploring or looking into and ask people to bring back their thoughts on that and, and to sort of do their own research and bring to me the exciting stuff. Wait a minute. Uh, that's what you do in business, but what do you do when it comes to traveling? Oh, it's we just go thing, places. Yeah, we go places we haven't gone uh -huh. before and we set a light so structure in place. your husband sort of goes for the ride, doesn't he? Actually, I think he has pushed me even further in that direction than my parents did. What do you mean? Uh, he's the one who says to us, we've never gone down this path before. So he gave us the spark for the falafel shop and wow, we should have this in DC. He's the one who said we should start visiting lots of different islands and exploring not just on top of the island, but underwater. And so I feel like he gives us that spark and I give us that structure and desire to go forward. Give me that again differently. What do you mean? Um, I think you can't just have a spark of an idea. You have to have the ability to execute also because you don't always start with a team. Sometimes it's just you. And so you've got to be able to really put that path out, whether it's developing manuals for stuff or a way to do things. You have to throw out a structure that allows you to more safely navigate the exploration. Could you have done this without a partner? Maybe. Uh -huh. But you like doing it with a partner. I love doing it with a partner because we bring different strengths to it. And so it's an exciting adventure for us every day. I also think we're extraordinarily lucky because a lot of husband and wife couples don't get to really work together. What's the website address of Amsterdam Falafel Shop? It's falafelshop.com. Let me have that again. Falafelshop.com. I'm speaking with Ariane Bennett, president of Amsterdam Falafel Shop here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com. To learn more about our executive leaders, we'll be back in a moment right after this business spotlight. And your name and organization is? My name is Maggie Jensik, and I'm with the Prosperity Consulting Group. And what's your role at the Prosperity Consulting Group? I am the marketing manager. Uh-huh. What's your role? What are, you, what are you supposed to be doing there? It's all about communicating who we are and what we do to our clients and prospects. Uh-huh. So what was going on with you 8 to 14 that may have led to what you're doing nowadays? So I, I used to horseback ride and teach horseback riding to uh, young adults and children. So what's and that have to do with uh, marketing and communications and stuff, riding horses? Well, you really learn how to communicate. Um, first of all, when you ride a horse, I mean, you can't use words. Uh, if that horse is going to run away with you, it's going to run away. You have to learn how to communicate in a different way than what you're used to. And then when you're teaching people, you know, you're communicating with children and their parents. And, you know, I'm also presenting a brand when I'm working for 
when I was working for the stable. So it's all about just learning how to talk and how to communicate with people. Wow, you're like juggling a thousand and one things in every instant. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's difficult enough learning how to ride a horse, let alone you have to go deal with the parents and you got to go deal with the kids you're trying to teach and make sure you're making sure that the brand is well. So you're keeping everything in mind all the time. Am I seeing that correctly? Yes. Uh-huh. What do you like about your role as the marketing manager of Prosperity Consulting Group? So I think... My job is very interesting because working for Prosperity, we're very, like everyone, not just me, everyone's very empowered to, you know, take things in their own hands. So, you know, if we have a client who's moving, I can send them moving labels and like tips on, you know, how to move with less stress. Or I can, you know, send like someone's wow. a grandmother and it I could be like. Sounds to me like you're developing like different yeah, teaching so techniques for well, a horse. You're, you're we could also, yeah. Things. We have a lot of, I think everyone has power at Prosperity um, to what's make the website, every client What's the special. website address of this organization? Prosperityconsult.com. That's P-R-O-S-P-E-R-I-T-Y-C-O-N-S-U-L-T.com. And again, your name is and your Maggie company? Maggie Jensik at the Prosperity Consulting and Group. this has been your business spotlight. I'm Tina Leone. I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District. Uh, and what is the Boston Business Improvement District? We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the internet, the first satellite, all were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston. How, how old is this organization? We're just, just shy of six years old. How long have you been there? How long have you been uh, there? Almost six years as well. Did you found this organization? Yes, I, I am the founding CEO. Why did you do that? Well, they, they, the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners in why, Boston. Why, why, why does it turn you on? Why does your gig turn you on? <laughs> people. I mean, we the, the, the ability to connect people, and then who knows the next great idea is going to result from that. We have incredible minds in the Washington, D.C. area, and Boston is, as I said, the epicenter for the smartest people in this area. So your job, you're like the master connector. I feel like the mayor of, of Boston, the mayor of innovation, because that's uh -huh. what's happening. So your, idea, your, your thought is that in order to create more stuff, in order to launch more businesses, in order to cause more good, it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people. Exactly. And you like being in the middle of all that I, stuff. Oh, we love it. We love it. And simple things, just connecting people through events, through art, uh, through a happy hour. Mm -hmm. You don't know what's going to come out of that. Mm -hmm. That's what's exciting. So it's all about the people. And you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization. Is this a nine-to-five kind of job oh, for you? Oh, hell no. It's a lot longer uh -huh. than that, baby. So do you have, to, you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, sure, sure. Let me have the website address of this sure, organization. Sure, it's bostonbid.com, and, and you can download the Boston Connect mobile app. Let me have uh, let me have that website address one more bostonbid.com. time. Com. It's B-A, give me the spelling on that. B-A-L-L-S-T-O-N-B-I-D.com. Excellent. Your name again is? Tina Leone. And the name of the organization? Is the Boston Business Improvement District. And this has been your Business Spotlight back in a moment. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is Richard Cohen. We'd like to introduce John Graham, President and CEO of ASAE, the Center for Association Leadership. John, what is the Center for Association Leadership? ASAE, which tagline Center for Association Leadership is really the Association for Associations. Uh, what we do is we help association professionals uh, do their jobs better, more effectively, more productively. How many members you got? 45,000. 45,000 members. Where are you from originally? Originally from Philadelphia and been in D.C. for uh, 35 years. How many brothers and sisters? Five. And where are you in the pecking order? Uh, oldest. You're the oldest of five, and tell us about your grandfather's farm. How young were you when you started working on it, and until how long were you working on it, and what did you do there? Well, uh, 
during the summers, uh, my parents moved uh, to my grandfather's farm because he could no longer keep it up. And so uh, they built him and my grandmother an apartment behind our house, which was his old house. And uh, during the summers, uh, he would grow things and uh, I would uh, go out and pick them. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was hard work. It was hot work, uh, baling uh -huh. hay. Uh, vaccinating chickens, uh, doing a lot of different things that you do on a farm. Uh, From the age of 10 education. to 15, huh? From the age of 10 to 15, you yeah. mentioned earlier. John, uh, Jim? What type of activities were you involved with as a youth? Uh, I played uh, some sports in high school, but I would say probably the pivotal thing for me was uh, from 8 to 18, I was uh, in the Boy Scouts. And what was it you liked about the Boy Scouts? Uh, I liked, uh, well, several things. Uh, one, uh, I liked the camping. I liked the outdoors. I liked the high adventure. Uh, the second thing I liked was uh, being able to uh, give leadership to others, uh, recognize that uh, if you provide the correct kind of leadership, uh, people will follow. And, uh, and I enjoyed doing that, bringing people together. And uh, it was values-based leadership, which I thought was very important as well. So what values did you learn from Boy Scouts? Uh, basically the scout oath and law, trust, being trustworthy, being loyal, being honest, uh, representing yourself correctly, uh, being authentic. Uh, which in this day and age is uh, an important important values and characteristics. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like it really established a, a foundation of character. Uh, do you bring that to your work today? Uh, absolutely, I do. Uh, I think I have a, uh, not being boastful, but I think I have a fairly high EQ, and, uh, mm -hmm. and I think uh, I bring mm -hmm. that, and I think that was shaped by a lot of the work that I did in the Scouts. Bonnie? Well, Eagle Scout's a really big deal, and it's a lot of work. Um, it certainly seems like it would have been easier to quit. Why didn't you quit? Uh, well, two reasons. A, I like being in the Boy Scouts, and so I continued on, and my Scoutmaster gave me a lot of encouragement. But uh, if I'm being totally uh, honest, uh, my mother pushed me a little bit along the way as well. Mm -hmm. Ariane? So I see a tie-in, a natural tie-in, between your time in the Boy Scouts and what you're doing today for associations. Can you tell us a little bit about how you affect those associations? Well, I think when uh, you're in the Scouts, uh, what you're learning to do, uh, what you've learned to do, you help younger Scouts learn to do. Uh, and I think at ASAE, uh, that's exactly what we do. We have a body of knowledge around the uh, profession of association management. Most people who get into association management get there by accident, not by design. There's no formal education program for that. So uh, as I said earlier, we help people do their jobs better, be mm -hmm. more productive, more effective. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, we are distributing content and knowledge. Thomas? John, uh, I don't expect you to remember, but this is sort of a daily occurrence for you, no doubt, but at an association event in Chicago recently, it was clear that there's a lot of gratitude for your career, and I'm not saying that you're uh, either halfway through that or at the end of the first quarter, but, but 16 years running ASAE, you've, you've no doubt helped influence a lot of the association How do you executives. know that? You were in a meeting with John? Uh, it was at an event, and it was very clear. I have a client who was also there, um, and it was very clear that just there was a, sort of a, a an effort by basically everyone there to try to come up to John and why, tell him why, thank John, you and why say would hello. That be? Why would people <laughs> want to come up to you and say, why would people be so appreciative and hold you such in such high esteem? Well, uh, because of the the work that ASAE does uh, is really work around. Uh, why would they hold you better. in such high esteem? Because basically I run the association for associations and I help people get jobs. Gotcha. And it's the Boy Scout stuff, the trustworthy, loyal, I understand. Uh, Andrew? John, going back to mom, you mentioned her influence in, in uh, encouraging you with the Boy Scouts. Um, there was a change uh, for a little while where she wasn't around as much, and you told a great story in the green room about a, a card you wrote to your mom at age 10. 
Yeah, my mother had a, uh, a nervous breakdown and uh, had to go away for about uh, six months. And uh, it happened to be over my birthday. And uh, I, uh, I wrote her a card asking for permission to uh, celebrate my birthday because uh, I, I wanted a certain present. And uh, she, uh, mm -hmm. she didn't know. I, uh, ultimately, I, I celebrated my birthday and she had saved the card and just gave it to me a couple of months ago. Wow. Michael? So was there anyone you looked up to when you were a scout? Well, clearly uh, older, older youth in the troop. Uh, certainly uh, my scoutmaster uh, was a, a real influence, and uh, I think that uh, probably, how he, probably How was he too. a real influence? What do you mean? Uh, I think uh, when, you're, when you're in the scouting program, uh, scoutmasters, I think, have a, uh, have a special place in, uh, in the scouting program. They're providing the the modeling of behavior, the training, uh, the education, uh, and the motivation uh, to continue to move forward. And so uh, I think it's a great opportunity. Uh, I mean, for me, it was a great opportunity to have a role model. John? What's the second word in the SCAL law after trustworthy? Loyal. How long were you at ASAE? 16 years. How long at the American Diabetes Association? 25 years, 15 as the national CEO. How long total at, with the Boy Scouts as a scout and an employee? Oh, uh, 16 years. So what does loyalty mean for you? Uh, loyalty means uh, being, uh, being authentic, being trustworthy, uh, being able to uh, recognize people uh, for what they've done, and uh, taking care of people who uh, have uh, helped take care of you. And who are you imprinting that loyalty on now? Uh, my staff, uh, my volunteer leadership. Uh, the beauty of what uh, I've done all my career, I think, is uh, bringing together volunteer leadership and staff leadership to create something that neither could have created on their own alone. So, so that, to me, that even goes back to working on the farm. You hated it, but you did it. <laughs> and you even were loyal to your mom. You asked her permission could you, you know, really actually enjoy or celebrate your birthday? You know, tell us more about where this loyalty comes from. Um, I, I think to be quite honest, I mean, I, I was raised uh, in, in a family that uh, certainly uh, practiced loyalty and being trustworthy. My father was a stickler for being honest and not lying. Uh, and I think it came from the scouting program. Uh, you know, I was in that program as a youth for uh, Eight, uh, ten, 10 of my 18 years. Uh, Ariane, uh, what are you thinking? That's what it was all about. I'm just wondering if you found that you gained a lot of your skills in fluidity and reacting and helping people because of the dynamic in your family and facing different challenges as you were growing up. Yeah, I mean, I think there was some of that. And, uh, you know, it was pointed out that, uh, and I've pointed it out, that uh, I learned working on a farm that that was work that I really didn't want to do for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Uh, you know, my mm -hmm. grandfather, you know, put, put sort of put me in bondage. Uh, he wouldn't mm -hmm. pay me and uh, just thought I should mm -hmm. do it because I was there. Jim? And so, John, certainly is a, when you're in scouting, you don't realize it at the time the number of people that have an impact on you, but certainly later you do. How are you giving back to scouting now? Uh, I'm currently uh, the president of the National Capital Area Council of the Boy Scouts. Uh, uh, prior to that, uh, I was vice president for finance, which is basically uh, fundraising, uh, so I and still do raise money for the Boy Scouts now. Tom? I was just going to ask John, it was apparent that a lot of people have gratitude for your efforts. What are you grateful for over your career? 
I'm grateful for the having had the opportunity to make an everyday difference in people's lives. What are you uh, talking about? What do you mean? Uh, and I, I make an everyday difference in people's lives now by helping people do their jobs better and therefore be more effective and therefore get promoted and get new jobs. When I was with the American Diabetes Association, uh, we really had the opportunity as, a, as an organization uh, to improve people's lives on an everyday basis. If you look back when I first started with diabetes and you look now, uh, uh, amputate, amputate 50% of all amputations were caused by diabetes. That number has dropped more than in half. Uh, you look at, but diabetes was the leading cause of blindness. That number has dropped in half. Uh, and so the impact that uh, I've been able to have in the careers that I've been had, had has uh, made an everyday difference. Wow. And you go into these, do you go in with this vision of helping? I do. What's the website address of this organization known as the Center for Association Leadership, ASAE? ASAECenter.org. Let me have that one more time. ASAECenter.org. We've been speaking with John Graham, President and CEO, ASAE, the Center for Association Leadership here on Executive Leaders Radio. John, can you give us a rundown on who else we've had the opportunity of speaking with today? Sure, Herb. Our first guest was Rob Klingensmith, Managing Director of Wealth Management at PB Mayors. Then we talked to Kelly Campbell, President and CEO of Campbell Wealth Management. Our third guest was Ariane Bennett, president of the Amsterdam Falafel Shop. And we just talked to John Graham, president and CEO of ASE, the Center for Association Leadership. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, including Andrew Howard, Howard Insurance, Tom McBride, Cressa, Jim Morgan, People Stretch Solutions, Michael Buckley, YHBCPAs, Bonnie Sewell, American Capital Planning, and John Shuhar, Graybeard Coaching, for giving me a hand structuring the questions of providing a listening audience an educational and entertaining show. I'd like to thank our listening audience for listening. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a radio show. Don't forget to visit our website, executiveleadersradio.com, and learn more about our executive leaders. We'll be, back in, we'll be back next week. Thank you for joining us today. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Executive Leaders Radio, the region's premier radio show highlighting local executive leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the show here on 1500 AM. You can learn more about Executive Leaders Radio by visiting executiveleadersradio.com or tune in next time right here on 1500 AM. That's executiveleadersradio.com.